Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to another episode of Bro History. It's Henry Zamoda, Danny Abdeljabar, and we are recording on a Tuesday, right? Yep. Club's going up on a Tuesday. Going up on a Tuesday. Just to give you an idea of what our recording schedule is like, it's either on Tuesday or Wednesday. Usually, right? Tuesday or Wednesday? It's hopefully Tuesday so that we don't have to scramble to, like, (laughs) edit the podcast to get it out Thursday morning. Yeah. So if we don't record it on Tuesday, that means that... We're doing it on Wednesday night, and we're basically just like, fuck it. Let's just throw what we, the raw audio <laughs> file up on, on no, iTunes. No, no, no. We do a little bit of editing and a we little do bit a of little, compression do, and shit like that. We do, so a, little cool. of, we do a little bit of a little uh, TLC song. to the show after it, but eh. Eh. You know what? So here's a side note before we get into the main topic. Did you listen to the New York Times uh, Caliphate podcast? No, I didn't, actually. Sounds very interesting. Sounds interesting. So I downloaded the entire thing on a on a road trip, and I was I was going to go in there with an open mind and say, "All right, like let's just see what they have to say." I couldn't get past the first episode, not because they like said anything that triggered me or anything like that, <laughs> or like I disagreed <laughs> with like the narrative. It was because I can't. I don't like that style of, of podcast where it's overly edited. Do you know really? what I mean? Well, I mean, I I, I actually do because uh, I listen to the Daily every day, and that's a super edited podcast. But I, I I don't know. I'm I'm an audio engineer, so like I I I find that shit cool when you when you're able to like on a really well produced show. Not to say I don't like our style either. This is fun too, um, but it, both have their merits. So you couldn't listen to it because it was just overly produced. I couldn't listen to it because there was just too much. I don't like the Daily either because it's, it's too much just shit in the beginning and like between interviews like someone will be interviewing a guy and then the interviewer will be repeating everything she says like he worked at a he, he worked at a steel mill his entire life and like i worked in a steel mill my entire life so like, yeah, it's like all right we heard him say it why can't you just have an interview yeah <laughs> it's like he's lived in it's like i've lived in michigan my entire life all of my five brothers worked in the same manufacturing plant i had that i worked in she's like all of his brothers worked and like, come on, <laughs> come on. But yeah, I just can't get it. I can't. It's just not my cup of tea. Obviously, those are like the biggest podcasts in the world. So who am I to judge it? <laughs> right. It's We're just some well. third rate show. So <laughs> we're literally recording this thing out of a cave in <laughs> Afghanistan. So it's not like, you know, we can't even talk shit. But I will talk shit about the New York Times Caliphate podcast because I wasn't able to get through it. What I wanted to do is I wanted to listen to it and I wanted to kind of poke it and be like, oh, no, that was dumb. Like kind of mm-hmm. like uh, tear through the New York Times narrative like we all like we all love doing. And you couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Couldn't get past the the uh, the the style. 
of course. Maybe, maybe I'll do it because I, I, I can totally tolerate that style. I quite like it, actually. And, uh, you know, just hanging out with you for all of these, you know, hours <laughs> of podcasts that we've done. I think uh, I'll be able to represent uh, the show and I'll, I'll be able to maybe... They're you. privateers. They're nothing but privateers. <laughs> you're gonna jump up to that. You're gonna go yeah. go. On my. You're gonna think like me. Like they're nothing but fucking mercenary privateers. <laughs> but yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I would recommend it. So I guess today we're talking. Like always, we always have a lot of stuff that's planned for these shows, and half half the stuff that we plan never ends up getting into the episode. Uh, mainly because we cover both history and, and current events at the same time, and we try to do both um, to the best of our ability, and just so we have more to talk about and we can relate history back into current affairs. Right. And um, something really interesting happened the other day, and it's definitely a follow-up to an episode we did the other day, or about two weeks ago, when... Either Iran allegedly shot a cruise missile into a Saudi oil field or the Houthis hit that Saudi oil field with a drone. Right. And it was really interesting because, honestly, when we were talking, I don't know if we jumped to a narrative. I know I'm not – I feel it's inconclusive, like, what happened. Agreed. There at this point, like I can't make a, a like a, I can't tell you what my honest opinion is if it was Iran, if it were the Houthis. However, after what happened on this was what Tuesday it was this happened on Saturday night, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Very Saturday? recently. Yeah. Was, was it Saturday or Sunday this happened? I don't know. It depends because Lose, like they're ahead of our time, yeah, so I'm not losing sure track of time. Yeah. Um, it it makes me think that the Houthis are capable of quite a lot because mm-hmm. uh, those guys are resourceful as hell so what happened henry what is what what went down so the houthis they captured so you could not believe these numbers they, they may not be accurate um the houthis are saying that they captured about two thousand saudi troops and killed another 500 mm-hmm. that's three brigades by the way it's massive. So three, and what's really interesting is this wasn't in Yemen. They they crossed over the border of Saudi Arabia. That's right. And it was a, a pincer move where they were kind of closed in from both sides, and it, it was it was a pretty sh- kind of it was pretty shocking. I wouldn't I didn't imagine that the Houthis would do that, um, but I guess they are quite capable of doing it as they as they have showed. So, what's your take on this? You're you're more of the military guy than I am. Uh, first of all, like the thing that I want to point out is like this should be your evidence. Uh, whenever you see on mainstream media or you know some other podcast or you know just one of your friends talking about how the Houthis are just this ragtag bunch of like weirdos that you know they couldn't possibly do anything precise and they're just like terrorists or something like that. They very well may be terrorist or terrorist affiliations but one thing that you cannot deny especially after seeing this is that they are very capable like very fucking capable and the reason for this is because they they released this video um and i saw it on youtube actually henry you sent that to me and it's like maybe i don't know 12 or 15 minutes long of just straight up video documentation 
of all the people they captured, of all of the weapons they captured, of all the tanks and like uh, uh, armored vehicles that they captured, and just generally like walking all of these defeated, captured soldiers down a line and there's like a quarter miles long line of people walking across the fucking desert, right? Just to God knows where. And it's abundantly clear that those are definitely the Houthis and that the people that they've captured are either Saudis or people fighting for Saudi Arabia. In any case, you can see on the sides of the trucks and shit that they captured, the Saudi emblems. You can see the types of weapons that they captured, of which there were thousands of weapons. It is it 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 is honestly one of the craziest battles, and I'm so upset that they don't have more video of what actually went down because I think it would be absolutely insane to see what went down. Yeah, the thing I immediately thought of was uh, was Hannibal crossing the Alps to, to yeah. attack Italy. But, Hell yeah, they but, they monsters, man. You know, something that I immediately noticed though is that a lot of the soldiers were African. Uh, see, I don't know about that, and they, and they looked be, a lot of a lot I'd of guys look African. No, <laughs> I'm not saying that. that. Yeah. No, um, I'm not. I'm just an observation. There was a lot of black guys. Um, the Saudis use a lot of African soldiers from Sudan and Chad and and different parts of Africa because they're 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 cheap. <laughs> I mean, it, that that part to me was a little inconclusive. What also was inconclusive uh, for me was the location. Right, so the Houthis do claim that they crossed into the border, and I think the thing that they're pointing out now, uh, and a lot of the things that I've been reading, is that uh, the Houthis have been fighting this war of attrition for many years, and it seems like it's swinging towards, you know, in their direction. They're picking up some wins. If we're counting this as their win, and we're counting the oil field as their win, and we're counting the several other instances of them bombing oil tankers in the in the uh, in the straits and things like that, then. Uh, you know, it's obviously moving in the right direction. And what I think they're trying to do is reestablish uh, what the Yemeni border or at least what the Houthi controlled Yemeni border is. Uh, and I think that they're starting to get a lot more public support from the Yemenis in general um, because, you know, this coalition based, uh, uh, you know, Saudi and Emiratis uh, that have been fighting against them uh, haven't been able to remove the Houthis, haven't been able to install their government for many, many years, have, you know, uh, uh, basically caused the worst famine, you know, in the in the region, have caused, you know, worst cholera epidemic, you know, the, the embargo, the blockade there uh, is just making it worse. And I think they're starting to see the Houthis as like, hey, they're actually picking up some wins here, right? And they're actually doing something. So what we're what we're noticing is a lot more support, you know, within Yemen for them. Uh, and you know, one thing that I read was that it's possible that they're trying to reclaim certain provinces that are right there on the border that might have been in dispute in terms of territory. Uh, and they're pushing farther and farther into Saudi uh, territory because they want to, you know, kind of set up like a buffer zone, almost like a DMZ, if you will, uh, uh, for the future. I think it's super interesting um, how it's panning out. And I think it's even more interesting after the conversation that we had uh, over the weekend with one of our listeners, um, you know, who was actually in Yemen um, uh, uh, early, early on, I think it was what, like something like 2011, we read one of his questions, um, you know, on the on the previous episode in our Q&A, and we actually got a chance to talk to this guy, and the way that he described the 
you know, uh, the situation on the ground was that like there were a number of tribes and groups. I think there was like 12 or something like that uh, that were vying for power at the time. And the the <laughs> the Houthis were just one of the you know, one of the few of them, you know, not relatively known, you know, and that they were super disorganized at the time. And, you know, he was talking about uh, a leaf called Kat. It's like QAT, um, and evidently this is like this is like their drug of choice out there, and they would sit down and do nothing for a whole long time and chew their cot and like chill. And as soon as they ran out of this cot, this like drug that they were doing all day, they were like, "All right, well, I guess uh, let's go do some fighting." And they'd you know load up their magazines and and head out to battle and in random dispersion. And for them to be able to go from that description to the current description where they're capturing 2000 2000 saudi armed uh let's call them saudi armed militants right whether remember remember the miscommunication we had the other day which one when i texted you what happened i said i i i'm a dumb texter i said u.s armed forces were captured in (laughs) yemen but i didn't mean it like that i meant it i meant that Forces that were armed with U.S. weapons were captured by the Houthis. <laughs> and you were like, what the hell? What was going on? I was like, I didn't see any U.S. forces there. Like, what are you talking about? Dumbass. <laughs> no, no, no. So uh, that's really important, too. Uh, I'm glad you pointed that out because the weapons, you know, Saudi, the, the Houthis didn't just capture some random band of, you know, rebels, you know, using like old ass AK-47s and shit. No, they were using modern American technology, you know, like you can see the stark difference between what tech that they had and what tech that they acquired because they had like a line of old Toyota Land Cruisers and Toyota Hiluxes uh, and they were just stockpiling the backs of their trucks full of all these brand new weapons and they were driving you know, uh, they're the captured uh, uh, armored vehicles. I, I don't actually know the exact model numbers of them. I'll look into it later. Um, but, uh, you know, they're clearly American made weapons that were purchased by Saudi Arabia uh, that are now firmly in the hands of the Houthis uh, because they ran train on these on this these three brigades. Uh, what, what an interesting take that I'm hearing is that it, that there is support from the inside because 20% of the of uh of Saudi Arabia is Shiite. And yeah, Shiites in Saudi Arabia are, they're not only a minority but they're oppressed. They're treated yeah. like shit. Yeah. <laughs> they're like second they're 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 second class citizens. And I think you'll probably start hearing this more in the mainstream media uh, as this comes to light because you know how they love to make this a sectarian like, you know, religious thing, you know, so they'll definitely be harping on that as soon as they they get off the idea that the Houthis are just like incapable and it was totally, you know, Saudi Arabia, they'll move on to being like, hey, this is a sectarian war. This is a, you know, religious, you know, Sunni versus Shia thing. So I definitely think you'll hear that more as this progresses. Um, but uh, definitely, you know, an interesting uh, uh, angle because like that could be, you know, how or why the uh, the Houthis were able to actually bomb that oil field, right? With those drones, it's it's potentially why and how, you know, the answer to the issue of the angle of attack or the issue of range or, you know, the, the myriad number of issues that people take with that strike and why it couldn't have been the Houthis and it had to have been Iran. Um, that could be a, you know, a factor that we're not that we're not paying enough attention to that could have contributed. 
Yeah, and you're right. I bet. I mean, that angle is already being played up. I mean, that that angle is played up with every single Middle Eastern war. That is just a strictly a Sunni and a Shiite thing. And there's some truth to that. You have to admit it. Like there, there definitely is sure. sectarian divide, and for sure, people are very tribal. Mm-hmm. So there is there is truth to that. However, where it it kind of leaves reality is when they blame like every single conflict between Arabs ever between Sunnis and Shiites. They'll be like, "This has been a a uh, thousand year war between these two tribes, these two religious sects. They'll never be able to get along. They're going to fight forever." That's not right. really the case. Um, like an example in Iraq, which is way different. Like Baghdad mm-hmm. right. was was way wealthier than Yemen at any time. But this kind of is thrown over the entire Middle East anyway. And the, Iraq is having its own big sectarian divides. But in Baghdad, um, I think it was about half the marriages were um, they, they were. Um, mixed faith marriages between Sunnis and Shiites. I didn't so, know that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting. It's, it's interesting when you see stats like that. Um, and in the case of Yemen, so what, what's really important to point out is that the, the Houthis are, are not the same branch of Shiite as, as the Iranians, the Twelvers. Um, the Houthis are they're a, a political separatist movement that wants to free itself from the government that they feel is is uh, a tyranny that they fear feel is a dictatorship that's basically propped up by the by the West and this myth about it being a religious movement because they're Shia is, is just kind of a false and and fallacy when you when you really think about it and measure it up against other conflicts in the Middle East right and if um, it has anything to do with it it's like the tenth thing on the list of you know ten things you know ten reasons yeah. why you know. Yeah, and like the Zaidi, the Zaidi Shiite, they're very different from the. Um, they're different from the, the Twelver Shiite, like in Iran. And I'm no expert on like Islamic Islam. doctrine right. or, mm-hmm. or or Islam in general, or or the different sects of Islam at all. But I know a little bit about it. And the Shiite, the, the Zaidi Shiite. Um, I'll, I'll throw. I'll, I'll roll this back. So the Zaidi Shiite. They take their name from Zayd bin Ali, who led a revolt against the Umayyad Caliphate in the 7th century, and he died in it. And they hold, they, they kind of look at him as, uh, they, they see him as the fourth Amman. Like the difference between the Zaydis is that the Zaydis have five Amans and the Shiite, the, the uh, Twelver Shiites, they have 12 Amans to get it. Twelvers, mm-hmm. 12, right. 12 Amans. Right. So. The Zaydis don't recognize the Amans that they feel to not stand up to stand up against corruptness. So they kind of have like this anarchist type philosophy behind them that that derives that that um that's that's not the same. Like the you know the um, Khomeini you know Khomeiniism they 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 embrace like uh, authority. Like they, the Twelvers believe in like a subjection to authority. Uh, the Zaydis are much more like the libertarians of the of the, is the Muslim world or, or something like that. I don't know if that's the best way to phrase it or not, but it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. Like that they're, they're that they are very different, and I think that that their theology definitely plays a plays a part in in their political activism and their and how they want to resist. Uh, essentially things like global capitalism and I don't want to sound too much like a fringe nut but they 
they want to resist thing like globalism or neoliberalism. I should say that. No, Alex Jones word. should be all over that shit. Neo neoliberal <laughs> neoliberalism for the for the right winger and uh, global capitalism for the for the left winger. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll appease you both. Say what it is. <laughs> say what you want. <laughs> and you know, you know, it's like really funny because both political tribes in the United States they both have they they both are talking about the same thing when they talk about like when they, when they talk about global capitalism and neoliberalism like they're yeah. talking about the exact same thing yeah they um, just have different names for it there's different names for it but they both hate it and they know it's bad but they 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 res- let's just put it this way they they have been they resist the the west and and I think that stems from their their theology um, so it's 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 interesting there. It's an interesting group to look at. It's uh, the the Yemenis. Um, yeah, we, we had a great conversation. We learned a lot more about the the Yemenis and the groups like Houthi. They're they're a very they're a very uh, interesting bunch, I guess I'll, I'll say to, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. And and with that explanation, Henry, I think you put yourself in like the 1% of people that understand what Zaydi Shiism is versus 12 Shiism. So I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit there. Well, I mean, there, there is a lot more to it. It's an interesting topic when you look at when you look at like Islam as a whole. I mean, I went to Catholic school and, and one of the cool things about going to Catholic school and you don't realize this when you're going to school, um, you take theology classes. Right. And <clears throat> you start with the monotheistic religions you do start with judaism you go to christianity and then you actually learn about islam as well you don't learn about that much in islam but you do learn about just the different religions in the world and you know obviously it's a pro when you go to catholic school it's a bit of a a pro christ bent to say the least however um i had in my school um i went to holy cross high school an all boys uh catholic school in in flushing queens Anyone who is from Queens, um, holla. <laughs> holla. I just, I just cringed a bit. <laughs> my, my teachers were actually, um, pretty liberal. Like they were, they, when I, I was in high school, when the passion of the Christ came out, let's oh, just put man. it that way. And mm-hmm. they were denouncing it. They were like, the passion of the Christ is, is terrible. It's a horrible idea to make a movie like that. It's not even true. That's what they were saying. Those, that's what the, they were Christian brothers who were saying that. And I was like, what? They were saying it wasn't true that no, Jesus they Christ were, died they for were your saying, sins. What is wrong they, with them? <laughs> they were saying that the, they were saying like the passion plays were just used to, to, for, for anti-Semitic purposes, mm. um, which is, which there's a lot of truth to that. However, I digress. Um, it is super interesting to look at the difference between the Sunnis and the Shiites um, in a, on a theological base. You know, the there's there's a lot of different there's there's a lot of differences, but they're very minor when you look at it. Like when you're not Muslim, mm-hmm. like the, they, they'd be minor to us. It'd be like the same way that someone who's not a Christian would look at the differences between a Catholic and a Protestant, for instance. Yeah, yeah, like, I can see that. Yeah, like if you look at if you look at a Christian, if you're not a Christian and you and you look at, you know, the Christian population and one person's like, I'm Catholic. And the other person says, I'm not Catholic. I'm, I'm the Methodist. You're like, okay, what's the difference? You both believe in Jesus Christ, right? Like, yeah. So but. isn't that the, isn't that the religion? Like, isn't, isn't <laughs> yeah. that the religion? Yeah. Um, the difference between the two is that, you know, they, it is power really. It's, mm. it's, um, do you believe in a direct relationship with God or do you believe in a bishop and a priest and, and a pope and a hierarchy to God 
you know, uh, Protestants versus Catholics. And, and right. it's, it's the same type of thing for, for Sunnis and Shiites. It, it's, it's a disagreement over the lineage of Muhammad. Um, um, that's, that's really what it is. It's just who is, the, you know, who is the next Imam after, after Muhammad? That's where mm-hmm. the big, uh, separation starts but like you know the way they worship isn't really different i think they have some different interpretations of, of the hadith but that's that's pretty much the main theological difference in, in their perceptions but these these conflicts they start out as 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 sectarian but when you go forward when you when you actually look at why there's conflict it's not because of their beliefs it's because of who has power it's right. because of religious nepotism right. and it's the same thing for that that happened in europe like right so you the 30 year war may have may have happened yeah, that's because big... of religious differences but you know, there the... were much more reasons beyond that too you know yeah, like it was the they... power structure of the roman catholic church that was absolutely dominating most of europe and bleeding them dry of all of their funds you know that was a big reason you know you start cutting into people's pockets you know, and yeah, sure, you can say like, hey, you know, I believe in a direct relationship with God versus I believe in a power structure and like a pope and things like that. Um, that that certainly is the starting point. But there are so many other widespread implications uh, that led to, you know, this this fracture there. Uh, and there's a lot of po- politics in it. And there's a lot of, like you said, uh, 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 religious nepotism. Um it goes much, much deeper than that. It goes much deeper than that. And, and Islam right now is kind of like how Christianity was like 400 years ago. It's because, all right, so you have different sects of religion who are um, very tribe oriented. So when one group gets control of the government, that's that's what really ends up being the problem. So let's just say if the majority of a majority Sunni country or a minority Sunni country um, has a Sunni leader and they only dish out favors and government jobs to other Sunnis, then the Shiites are going to be pissed. And what that ultimately does, it forces the other group to band together to resist the, the resist from being oppressed from the other group. So right. it's all it's, it's 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 who gets the money. It's it's they're always it, it's always. um it's never like because of the theological difference that these 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 groups fight it's because of money and power and and identity politics at the Mm -hmm. end of the day and so to kind of wrap all this up you know one thing you should take away from today's show is that you know one it's a lot more complicated that this war in yemen uh than just sunni and shiism and the houthis are not to be you know slept on they are very capable and they have documented evidence of of them making giant gains uh in this uh conflict and um yeah i think those are the two two big things to to take away two two big takeaways um so what we were planning on speaking about i think we said we were going to talk about it and Mm -hmm. it kind of definitely there's a good segue into this right is um while we're on saudi arabia good good old (laughs) while we're in saudi while we're on saudi arabia so um Tomorrow is the anniversary of Jamal Khashoggi's death, right? Mm-hmm. Is it? So, it's this week. Forget the exact day. Actually, I think it might be the fourth. So, that it might, might be Third or fourth. Yeah. I forget the exact date, but mm-hmm. it's this week for sure. Now, this is really interesting because Mohammed bin Salman is looking really bad right now. Yeah. Bin Salman is looking 
really, really, really bad. This guy has effectively, it looks like they've lost this war. And the Saudi public, I cannot see them being this happy. I don't know how this news is going to be uh, disseminated into Saudi Arabia. Um, obviously, the elites know what's going on. Right. I don't know if the average Saudi is getting the full story. They probably are. I mean, they're all on Twitter. They know what's going on. Um, MBS is looking pretty bad right now. He's an all. He hasn't. Right now, at this period of time, he is at an all-time low. He's pulling really low. <laughs> he's at, at, a, at an all-time low as his time as, uh, as the crown prince. Because this war, he was um, the defense minister when this war started back in 2015, when he was yet to be crowned, uh, crowned crown prince. He was yet to be named the next king of Saudi Arabia. He was the one who really kind of engaged in this war and... I think a lot of it had to do with with um, what one of the main princes, uh, one of their big princes. Uh, I think it was Prince Sult- Sultan, or I might be getting the name wrong, but their Yemen prince, the guy who kind of like knew who who dealt with Yemen foreign policy, meaning the guy who paid off the right people within Yemen to keep them from 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 revolting, died. So I think everything is kind of kind of uh, went crazy from there, and and uh, when when. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman bin Salman consolidated power he really left that committee system that that was uh, I guess effective and keeping the Saudi Arabian monarchy alive for so many years when so many people were were writing its obituary like how many times have so, like people have written out Saudi Arabia like oh Saudi Arabia is done like every single decade there there's been a, a crisis in Saudi Arabia um, going back to to uh, the 50s and 60s with the rise of Nasser um, you know go, going all the way to 9/11 when when people were like what the fuck uh, the Saudi the, the people who hijacked the plane were Saudi Arabian or at least the vast majority of them. So there's been many times that there's been the obituary that that was written for Saudi Arabia, but they've always kind of pulled through. And I think the Saudi kings and the Saudi, you know, the Saudi kings, the uh, the Saudis, uh, the Saudi council uh, kind of are aware of Saudi Arabia's weaknesses. Like they knew that Saddam Hussein would destroy them. They, they knew that, um, you know, they, they, they were aware that a... Uh, form of political Islam could emerge just like in Iran. Um, you know, they were aware that, um, you know, that Nasser could, would clean their clock in a fight, even though Nasser ended up getting his clock clean in Yemen. Um, I, I think they were very aware of their vulnerability within the Middle East. And, and MBS, I don't think he grew up in those times. He, he, he didn't experience those times when, when uh, you know, that type of... Uh, carefulness was was within the, that government and and i think he just went amok and crazy and one of the big decisions that 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 really shows that is his decision i'm gonna go off and say decision because i, I i'm pretty convinced that jamal uh, that mbs probably hired the guys 
to kill Jamal Khashoggi. Yeah, probably. Right. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey there. I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. See, he's admitting responsibility for it, though. Did you hear that? Yeah, I did. Super interesting. After after a full year, of this shit now. A full a full year of it on the anniversary. I admit responsibility just because I am going to be king and I have to be, take responsibility because this is my world. Like that's basically his logic. Like mm-hmm. you know, and it happened like a, under my house, so it's yeah, fine. yeah. It's like it's like a, a soft admission. It's like yeah, you know, I'm in a, in a position of power, so I'm going to take the fall for this one. But not explicitly saying like yeah, I totally did that. You know, like I called I called the the hit squad on them. You know, you know. At the very, at the very least, though, he is taking moral moral responsibility of it, even even though if he's not not taking criminal responsibility for the murder of I mean, Khashoggi. I guess I mean, that's a step in the right direction. But but look at it, Saudi Arabia. I'm going to say this as as nice as possible. It's a nasty, it's a nasty monarchy that routinely murders people in Yemen with drone strikes. Mm-hmm. They've been caught red handed aiding. And abetting Al Qaeda in Syria and around the rest of the world, they've been a bit, they they are involved in incredibly horrible things, especially the intentional starvation from their blockade within Yemen. Um, so there's a lot of blood on their hands. Um, so it's it's interesting that you know one journalist kind of puts them on the map, you know, it, it, uh, of being bad guys, right? Like. You know, it's it's horrifying that what they did to him. It's the, it's the, it's the American, you know, uh, factor. You know, like he was a he wasn't a citizen, but he was a resident of the United States, and his kids are citizens. You know, so like, and he works for an American company. You know, so that that's really what did it. I think. What's really interesting about the whole Jamal Khashoggi affair is that. The Saudis kept on changing their stories every single day. So <laughs> yeah. it was it was so ridiculous because, I mean, everyone's probably well aware that uh, a hit squad of, what, 15 guys went, mm-hmm. in, went in to get him? Yep. It was 15 guys. It wasn't like one assassin or they got and him like, cyanide. If but. you've ever seen a picture of Jamal Khashoggi when he was alive, like, he is not a threatening-looking guy. Like, you don't need 15 dudes to take this guy out, like, at all. Well, well, here's what happened. So they, they kept on changing their story. Um, they first said that, no, we didn't do it. We, 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 didn't, we, we didn't do it. Like, there's no evidence of him leaving the consulate. So, so uh, you had to have done it. Like, he went in. He never walked out. And they're like, 
No, we, we don't know what happened. And then there came out that there was audio tapes of him. Mm-hmm. From his, like, Apple Watch, right? <laughs> yeah, there was an audio tape of him. And then they went with, like, oh, oh, okay, it was a botched interrogation. Uh, we just wanted to capture him and interrogate him, but we would never kill him. Mm-hmm. But then they ended up bringing a bone saw. So like, what the, <laughs> like bone saw why did you? Why did you? Why, why did you take his pants off? <laughs> why? Yeah. Why did Sharon? And didn't, and didn't they take, did his, take clothes, his pants off? Didn't they take his clothes and try to get like a fake impersonator to walk out so they can get evidence of him leaving or some shit? I, if they did do that, I missed that. But it sounds like something. It's it's so botched. It sounds so. It sounds so silly. But yeah, they like they're playing. They're trying to add some plausible deniability. But, like, they brought a bone saw. Like, what the hell? Did... Come on, guys. Seriously. And it's, it's um, you know what? I actually kind of w- believed it at first when that story first came out, when they, when they first, um, when they were first saying they were trying to capture him. I, I thought they were. I thought that, like, oh, maybe he knows. Maybe the Washington Post journalist knows something. They're trying to figure out what he knows. Uh-oh. They're, they're, at, they're after me. Menji, they're after me. You know too much, Henry. I know too much. Mohammed bin Salman's after you now. MBS. Now they're 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 captured. They can't get me. <laughs> so so they sent fifteen guys. Eleven of them have been arrested. Um, I think five of them face a death penalty right now. That's crazy. Um, in Saudi Arabia, you can get the death penalty for sneezing you know like <laughs> yeah so you know i hope that dismembering a body in saudi arabia with a bar that they set for capital punishment would would be included in that no matter how far up they are how where, low that bar is uh, yeah. how low that bar is you know those guys were trained and we did it we, we mentioned this into yeah, another podcast that was an interesting one. Ooh, that was a good one <laughs> they really don't want you to tell us. Yeah, so we mentioned this. This is, the- this is how the globalists keep you down. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, we we mentioned this in, in in a previous podcast, and and yeah, they they were um they actually came here to the United States to be trained. Uh, what what state was that in? I think it was in Arkansas. Yeah, Arkansas was, uh, or some shit. Tennessee, tier one, maybe. I, yeah, tier one like, group, right? Tier one group. Yeah, it was. It had that super cool. Uh, promo video yeah it was like all but, heavy metal and shit and like I'm gonna stuff play, blowing up you know i'm gonna play that because it's a, it was so uh i'm gonna throw this in the in the podcast because it was so <laughs> it was so good yeah it was so funny i would recommend watching it because it does make you want to fucking punch somebody in the face <laughs> yeah but they came here for for their special you know bone saw training or whatever and uh yeah and then we cut them loose and um and they went off and did their thing well, terrible, terrible advertising for Tier 1 Group because Seriously, they did a yeah. terrible job. Wait, if I remember correctly, did they change their name? Maybe. I think they no. might have been called something like, like if I'm remembering the story right, they were called like Dynamic Counter Group or something like that. Yeah. If if you go to their website, you have to you'll, listen you'll, to that, that podcast again. I mean, you can just <laughs> type in, you, you don't have to go. I mean, listen to it. It's a good podcast. Yeah. However, you can just type in tier one group and you'll probably find like all of their information. So you don't have to go through the archives and <laughs> yeah. guess which one. Cause I don't even remember what episode we talked about. I'm pretty about sure that. it's on, it's on, it's on YouTube. Um, and we review their website together. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. I remember cool. that. Yeah. I forgot we did that. Yeah. It was hilarious. And yeah. we ended it with a joke. <laughs> we ended it with a, uh, with a, uh, with like a 
joke where we were going through positive news stories and and, and yeah. trying to find the negative things about them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we went to yeah, we went to like a, a pause like a we were like we're talking about so many negative it's like things good in the news. world. or some so we shit went like to, that. Yeah, yeah. goodnews.net and we were scrolling down the stories and it'll be like a kid learns hears for the first time ever and we were gonna be like yeah but after going through years of like no audio and like being isolated mm-hmm. so we were just yeah. like making spinning really good stories in very dark ways i don't yeah. know it was interesting it was fun it was fun um all right back to the Kashogi. so yeah it's 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 interesting um you know, Saudi Arabia, they've been going. It, the, the funny thing about MBS is that when he was first named crown prince, he was people were looking at him like he was a reformer mm-hmm. just because he was taking that society and making them do just like somewhat normal things, like allowing women to drive. Like, oh, he's a reformer. <laughs> like, finally. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <gasps> women can drive. The reason why women were adro- allowed to drive in Saudi Arabia I don't think it's necessarily to do with MBS. It's because people were complaining about driving their wives to everywhere. When, so here, here's what hap- Here's what I think would happen. So when oil prices went down a couple of years ago, like w- whenever oil, so you get, the thing that's really important to understand about Saudi Arabia is that their standard of living is directly affected by the price of oil. Right. So if the price of oil is high, then their stand like the standard of living go- it goes up for the average Saudi citizen because Saudis. They're almost completely. Their living. Their living is almost completely subsidized by by yeah, oil it's, revenue it's, from it's, the it's government. It's like Alaska here. You know, in Alaska, they get like a thousand bucks a month. Like no, no questions asked, just because of oil. You know, because of the oil industry. So think about that. Like Alaska in Saudi Arabia, but like times like thousand. Yeah, times times a thousand, and with that, there comes this mutual understanding between the population of Saudi Arabia and the the monarchy. So, the monarchy will take care of their material needs. So they'll provide them things like um, health care, education. Mm-hmm. I think they um, help out with housing as housing. well. Housing. They subsidize yeah. like almost like so many things a part of their lifestyle. Like Bernie Sanders would would like. You know, totally cream his pants over this shit. Yeah, but he wouldn't want. He wouldn't want to take the oil though. No, like, that's true. That's true. So here, yeah, I he really would, like he this idea. I like the Saudi. So you got to figure out a way correctly. to get the, You got to figure out a way to get it off of the I, oil. I was reading this art. I was reading this thing about Saudi healthcare. They, there was this guy who had a brain aneurysm, and he was in his sixties or seventies. Uh-huh. And they put this guy in, in Prague, where they have really good, um, I guess, brain rehab. Brain surgeons. Uh, surgeons. I think they put them in like a brain um, rehab. Brain camp. Camp. Brain camp. <laughs> and I am imagining that th- that type of care is incredibly, incredibly expensive. And, and they subsidize everything. Yep. So, so they do. So they like provide all this material and all these all these things that, that create a good living standard for their population. Also, water, I'm pretty sure, is subsidized, oh, which is for, super for expensive sure. in the Middle East. Yeah. Um, and with that, Saudis... You have to put up with some shit. <laughs> the Saudis will obey. Like, it means obedience. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, I'll pay for all your shit, but you, just better, you better listen to me. Now, if their living standard goes down, let's just, if there's a huge drop in the price of oil, mm-hmm. um, the, the last time I looked at the price of oil it was like fifty five, fifty six dollars or something like 58 that. Fifty eight 
dollars per barrel. That's when we did the episode on the uh, 58, oil. 58 a barrel. Mm-hmm. I haven't looked at it since then, but it's um, but that was post rebound. Like that 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 value of oil had shot so far down when when news of that attack happened. Um, so like after the rebound, it was at fifty eight dollars, but it was it was much lower than that um, when it happened. Which which means you know to your point, bad things for the standard of living of Saudi Arabians. Yeah, and and when that happened, I think one of the reasons why I saw why MBS he he was able to launch into stardom is because when he became crown prince, I believe that I believe the price of oil was around thirty dollars or so. It was low. And whenever that happens, it's like, you know, the Saudis are like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> what are we going to do? Yeah. Oh, this, hopefully this oil starts going. Stop producing oil. Stop producing. We need to keep the prices down. Ah! Yeah, yeah. Keep the price down. Stop producing. Um, because Saudi Arabia is the swing state, you know, like they're, right. they're the country that basically like produces and stops producing in order to control the price of oil it's why they have so much power because they they are the swing oil producer of the world those practices are akin to chinese currency manipulation you know like at the moment that they decide like hey we're not doing very well they'll just ratchet down some of the you know oil production and there you go here's some capital right that that brings the the prices high so while it's not currency it's certainly like liquid gold you know like black liquid gold for them but black gold the south the beverly hillbillies of the middle east seriously they struck they struck oil so when that happened when the oil prices went down um mbs tried to roll out this plan called saudi vision 2020 or 2030 rather yeah it's 2030 yet 2030 2020 would be like you know in a in a few months <laughs> yeah 2020 wouldn't be i guess possible and their plan was to find alternative energy because eventually they're going to have to wean off their their oil revenue. Like right. it's not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. So they were they were recognizing that, and they were trying to transform the Saudi economy. And one of the main things they were trying to do was was um, I think they were trying to make Jeddah was uh, a more of a tourist attraction. So so they um, so, so people would stop visiting like. Now, Westerners are not going to go to Mecca, obviously. Right. They're not allowed in Mecca if you're not a Muslim. However, um, they were trying to attract um, international finance. They were trying to they were trying to attract money, but people don't. MBS really put himself in a in a in a shitty place. Like he he ended up going up uh, up Shit's Creek without a paddle because he he purged the government essentially like he pur- right. he purged locked the government in the Ritz Carlton <laughs> he locked them all he locked them all up in the Ritz Carlton <laughs> in a fort <laughs> in a in a four star hotel could <laughs> didn't even put them in a five star <laughs> apparently these guys were all you know not all of them but apparently some of them were tortured so yeah um so he purged the government um you may want to think that he did it to consolidate power but um, I was talking to I interviewed Gregory Goss uh, almost a year ago at this point. He said that it was it wasn't really, and he's the one of the he's a real expert on this. He's a he's the uh, he's the guy. He's the the um, dean of uh, the Bush International, not the not George W. Um, George H. Bush, the first Bush. Uh, he's a dean of uh, Texas A&M International Relations, and he was saying that it wasn't really a shakedown. 
uh i mean it wasn't it wasn't a con- consolidate he wasn't trying to consolidate power he had already done that this was just purely a shakedown because a lot of these princes um he, he felt weren't investing enough money into his economic visions or his economic plan so he was basically just shaking them down right grabbing them by the ankles and shaking them till all the coins rattle out yeah so but when he did that, people are like, okay, so this new Saudi, the guy who's going to be the Saudi king in the future, he's going to fucking just start purging people from the government. He's unpredictable. And he totally is unpredictable. Like with the decisions that he's made, of course, uh, you know, the war in Yemen, the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, which has, has just turned out to be the incredible i mean obviously it's evil you know we're making jokes and we probably shouldn't do it because he was murdered at the end of the day in a very brutal manner right however um there's there's so many things that that were brought to the attention because i don't even think the war in yemen would have become something that people even covered if it wasn't for what wasn't for some of the other scandals that mbs was in so this guy has really put himself in in a in a bad place um, he, he definitely reversed public opinion as of himself as a reformer. And um, I don't know where where he, it's going because he, he seems to be really losing. I mean, I don't know what's going on internally within like the Saudi court, but I can't imagine that the Saudis are happy like other Saudis are happy because they they what's another thing that's important to understand is that they totally shifted the Saudi line of succession with him becoming king, with him, him becoming right. a new he crown, wasn't even crown supposed prince. To, he, he doesn't even go here, you know? Like, Well, it, it made sense because he's the son, I think he's the first son of King Salman's third wife uh, or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's his favorite son, though. But I think he had, Salman had him when he was like 60, so was, he was his third wife. AKA, so he was an right. older older father. It's I think probably... there was also like a like an age play there too, because the dude's like thirty four years old right now, and like you know, getting a young guy in in power, you know, in the crown means like a longer lasting dynasty for for that family, you know. Well, every single other Saudi king is uh, is the father or is the son of Ibn Saud, right? Who is the founder of the third Saudi kingdom. Mm-hmm. The, the original Saudi king, or not the original, but the, the modern, the founder of the modern Saudi state as we know it, Ibn Saud, he is the, thir- he is the, he is the first a crown prince who's not his son. He is the son of one of his sons. So the entire, the succession was going from, from, uh, you know, it went from father from to son, to brother. son, to son, to yeah. son, to son, the brother, you know, the, the brother, the brother, the brother, the brother, the brother, the brother, mm-hmm. you know, they thought that that was going to, to continue because there was another crown prince who was who was very popular within Washington and a Barack Obama named Mohammed bin Naif, mm-hmm. um, who was very close with with like the U.S. intelligence departments and Scotland Yard and right. um, was very involved in the events that took place after 9-11 and in, in, uh, fighting Al Qaeda in Saudi Arabia. Um, he who had a who, who injured who was injured in a terrorist attack actually i didn't know that but Nayef was really was very popular in washington however um he was ousted and instead for muhammad bin salman for this and dude <laughs> for for this guy and there's like a 30 year age difference because yep. uh ben Nayef was was about 60 or so usually that's when they become crown prince but i'm i would be worried if i was mbs you know mbs wouldn't be the first 
if something were to happen to MBS, it wouldn't be the first time something happened to a Saudi king. Um, king Faisal was assassinated. It's I don't know what's going to happen to this guy, but it seems like he either is eventually going to be forced to resign or I mean, you know, postulating here, that might be the reason why he's took such a firm stance and shook down all those folks, you know, like to say, like, I'm, you know, don't fuck with me, you know, like I'm I'm the man. But like inadvertently, I think he probably created more enemies than he did gained respect out of it. Yeah, he he's he's um, I don't think he's going to be around that much longer as a crown as the crown prince. We'll see, though. I I kind of thought that a year ago, and he's still around, so... Impeach MBS. <laughs> Impeach MBS. <laughs> Apparently doesn't work like that. No, no, it doesn't. It's the Grand Council has to make a decision. But, yeah, it's weird. Um, Jamal Khashoggi. So... Yeah, let's talk about him for a let's minute. Let's talk about Jamal Khashoggi. It's an interesting story. Because not that many people know that much about Jamal Khashoggi. Um, I'm imagining most people didn't know who Jamal Khashoggi was until he was killed. Uh, Most Americans. Yeah. I don't mean Arabs obviously know who they are. But um, most Americans probably didn't know who Khashoggi was until he was assassinated. Um, And he's an interesting guy because he is a Saudi insider, Mm -hmm. to say the least. Um you know, Jamal Khashoggi was was a Saudi Arabian journalist. He made his name in the nineteen in the late eighties, early nineties, covering radical groups in Afghanistan, um, specifically the radical groups that were fighting the Soviets, mm-hmm. and uh, that included Osama bin Laden. Right. Um, he wrote for Al Hayat, which at the time was the biggest Arabic uh, international newspaper in the world. Um, he then went on to become the editor of the Arab News, which is the largest English daily in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he also went on to become the political advisor of uh, Prince Turkey bin Faisal, who who um, served as the director of Saudi intelligence mm-hmm. and who was also a diplomat to both the United States and, and uh, the United Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. So he was a very, very well, big insider within the Saudi royal family and, um, he wasn't technically a prince, but he was he was certainly um, his, his patrons were certainly the royal family. Right, like he, he, was, he was definitely yeah. he was definitely uh, in it, if you know what I mean. So something that's also really interesting about Jamal Khashoggi is that if you notice, like Khashoggi is not an Arabic name. No, it's not one at all. It's a Turkish name. Um, his grandfather was from Turkey, but he was born in the Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. He had been living in, I believe his grandfather had been living in Mecca and was actually expelled um, during World War One. And he ended up in Damascus and he was, um, he went to Paris and eventually ended up in Riyadh as the personal physician for, for uh, Ibn Saud, the first Saudi monarch, you know, the, the first Saudi king of the third kingdom. Quite the journey. Quite, quite the journey. And obviously, if you're the personal physician of the, of the, of the king. The king. Of the king. Mm-hmm. Your kids are probably going to be taken care of, right? Right. Well, I mean, that's the way that they do it in Saudi Arabia, right? Well, he married an Arab woman mm-hmm. and he, um, his grandfather ended up, I mean, 
um, that one of his sons um, ended up being Adnan Khashoggi. That's that's Jamal mm-hmm. Khashoggi's uncle. Mm-hmm. And the only way to describe uh, Adnan Khashoggi, and I, I don't know, have you heard of him before? Only very recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to play the clip, and let's just play the clip in, in the podcast, and mm-hmm. I think this will be a better, do a better job at describing who, who he is than we can. <laughs> okay. So let's play it. And Khashoggi, a lifestyle of heroic excess, is matched only by the zeal of the global press to explain this mysterious mogul whose name and face appear in headlines across the world. The multi-million dollar deal, the $2.5 billion divorce case, Seen with Farah, or Liza, or Frank Sinatra, and pictured in the tabloids with Jackie O and Joan Collins. America's richest man, Gordon Getty, has $4.1 billion compared to Khashoggi's estimated $10 billion. And though the cameras follow his every move, Khashoggi rarely talks to the press. Instead, they just speculate about him. But now the facts. He was born in Mecca in 1935 under the sign of Leo to a middle-class family. His Muslim religion and loyalty to the Saudi royal family are the pillars upon which his empire is built. Photographed with stars and celebrities, who he entertains lavishly in his 35 family homes, the real Khashoggi is a surprisingly private family. It's, um, he's a pretty interesting guy. Yeah, to say the least. (laughs) I'm not Khashoggi. Who is this mysterious man from the Middle East? Billy With his riches, <laughs> his riches are only but his riches are only matched by his women, who he likes young. <laughs> Here's a picture with him and Sean Connery and Frank Sinatra and the Queen <laughs> and the Queen. But he doesn't. He keeps his life private. So it's all messed out of the mystery. We don't even know how he made his money. <laughs> We're not even sure what he sounds like. He's worth $10 billion, the richest man in the world. (laughs) $10 billion, the richest man in the world. One can even calculate this amount of wealth that's given into one person. But this Adnan Khashoggi represents everything that is mysterious about the lavish life of big cash, big guns, and sexy women. (laughs) Uh, it's, It's so funny because... Anna Khashoggi is, uh, so <laughs> I, that was the first time I saw that video a couple, a couple days ago, mm-hmm. but I've always known of him as a, as a guy who is very, very involved in smuggling arms and being a guy who, who basically made his weapon being kind of the middleman between the arms transactions. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy was super rich. Crazy rich, especially for that time, dude. For, for that but there, there's a lot of like speculation of how much money he was actually worth. If he was worth ten billion, if he was worth four billion, if he was worth like who fucking knows? But so you know, like Donald Trump today, right? You know, what's like, interesting is that <laughs> what's, what's interesting is that we'll get there. But his yacht was um, he had like a very notorious yacht mm-hmm. that was purchased by Trump. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, he he ended up owing, I think it was Oman. I forget exactly who he owed, but he lost it. He lost a yacht due to some type of loan or something like that, and, and Trump ended up purchasing it. But it was one of those weird yachts, kind of like Jeffrey Epstein's Lolita Express or whatever he called it. That's creepy. He was kind of like, he kind of was shrouded in mystery, like a Jeffrey, like that's how I see him, like mm-hmm. a Jeffrey Epstein type character. Right, because he, he got around. I mean, like he was... 
in constantly like photographed with celebrities and like dignitaries and like you know all these VIP folks. Um, and if you take a look at like the way that he was, you know, estimated to live his life, it's like what was the Economist in eighty and then like late eighties said it it costs him two hundred and fifty k a day just to live his life. Like this man was hood rich, like so rich, so rich. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for the New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-off launches April 9th. He was super, super rich, selling arms, being the middleman in shady transactions, and apparently these transactions all took place in a DC-8, mm-hmm. in a, like a blinged-out DC-8. So, yep, yep, yep. Sky, sky deers, get on my yacht, yacht and make a deal with a, with a Turk who's from Saudi. <laughs> Um, but he got in trouble. Uh, there, there's, I don't know what, you know, there's a lot of allegations on him being involved in like human trafficking and stuff like that. I don't obviously know anything about that or have anything to speak of it. I've just seen, I just have the documents right here. (laughs) Um, I've just heard, I just heard those allegations before that he was involved in, on, uh, in like sex trafficking and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'd have, I'd have no idea. But more um, like arms possibly, trafficking, pr- right? possibly because like, he does he does sound a lot like the about the Epstein yeah, character for sure. Um, but he did get he he was mentioned in Iran Contra, mm-hmm. and apparently he made he he facilitated a uh, facilitated deal arms deals um, between Iran um, and the CIA mm-hmm. when when um, arming the Contras in Nicaragua, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you guys don't know what Iran Contra is, it's basically when we, it's basically when the U.S. tried to overthrow the Sandinista government in Nicaragua, and who overthrew the Somoza regime, uh, regime. Also and they armed they armed a, a group called the Contras, who were basically terrorists, and mm-hmm. they did it secretly because mm-hmm. uh, the the house they passed an amendment that which that limited assistance to them because they were murdering murdering journalists and stuff like that and raping people and massacring villages and um the way that they facilitated the way that they funded the the, uh the contras was was through secretly selling arms to iran who had hostages well hezbollah had hostages in lebanon so they were trying to like covertly fund this group to overthrow a government they didn't like um, oh, that's that's never happened before and you know what it sounds since. a lot like <laughs> iran sound iran contra is basically a 
prelude to the war in Syria. Right. Right. It's like, exactly. Like it, yeah. It's, it's a pre complete prelude. The same, even the same characters were involved in it. Yeah. Right. Um, like this is, it was the prequel. It was, it was the prequel. It was the forecoming of, of, uh, of Syria. Cause in Syria, like that's what they are. Actually, we have some questions. We have some good questions to kind of cover these topics. So maybe we should just go straight into the Q and a. Yep. Let's do it. Um, all right. So Q and a do, 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 do. That is the new theme song. Danny is working on a theme song, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's not right, soon. Danny. Then fire beats will be hitting That might be ears. out right now by yeah. the time you finish it. I maybe don't know. never know. Maybe, maybe you already heard it. And you're maybe like, you already oh. heard it. All right. Q and a time bro and history. All right. First question. This segues directly into what we were talking about. What do people mean when they say that Obama supported Al-Qaeda? I find this very confusing. I'm not sure what they mean. Are they drawing ties with him being a Muslim, or are they saying that he actually supports Al-Qaeda? I'll let you take this one. So that's a good question because that that term is actually actually thrown out a lot. Right. So people will be like, oh, Obama supported Al-Qaeda. And um, when you say that to somebody, people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? Al-Qaeda support, like Obama supported Al-Qaeda. Is this like birther type stuff? Right, right. Like, is this the birther movement type stuff? Like he was a, he was a covert Al-Qaeda operative. Right. Um, What people mean when someone says that Obama, like the, at least I can't speak for everyone, but um, if you listen to guys like Scott Horton, who says that a lot, um, or myself, who has probably said that before um, or anyone who has been pretty critical of the Obama administration's policy during the Syrian war. Um, they'll say that he funded Al Qaeda or they funded ISIS and there's varying degrees to, to, to this. So they either mean that in, uh, I guess in uh, the, the least egregious or the, the, the least serious um, accusation, they mean that he, they funded, they intentionally funded terrorists in Syria and Iraq during the Syrian war by giving arms to Syrian rebels who ended up just taking those arms and joining ISIS or Al Qaeda mm-hmm. or whatever group. Because what's like, it is kind of a talking point when you say Obama supported Al Qaeda, and it's like a talking point that you need to explain with a little bit of context. Right. So if you're going to say Obama, it's like, Oh, it's interesting. Like Obama put in Obama, uh, had all these non-lethal aid packages and gave all these Syrian rebels, uh, or these FSA guys Mm -hmm. arms. And they went ahead and they ended up just joining the, you know, the crazy militants. Uh, so it's kind of like Obama supported Al Qaeda. Like that would be a lot better to say, I feel right. Um, cause when you think about it, Al Qaeda is a, these groups, Al Qaeda is kind of a blanket term for, for basically all of these is Islamist groups in, right. in Syria right. or, or in other places as well. Um, when people are saying that he supported Al Qaeda, it can mean like there, he's, there's like, there's so many different groups that are constantly fighting each other, changing their names, changing and their names. Yeah. And you know, they, they will they will show patronage to one like these guys they follow a strong man warlord type who kind of runs it and they play patronage to, mm-hmm. to another person they're just kind of they're a better way to think of them is not as as uh, malicious but as like criminal groups 
Right. Like they're just like a bunch of different crim- rival criminal groups that happen to align with the same interests sometimes and work together and then happen to fight over rival turf. In their case, they fight over who is wants to extort the population with with tax money and and stuff like that and um and and oil revenues. So it's I think that's what people mean when they say Obama supported al-Qaeda. Um, a another way that you could look at it, if you want to be more severe with your accusation, which I think is very fair, and you can look into this, is that um, you can relate that back to Iran Contra, where people uh, ex- intentionally supported Al Qaeda, where where um, the CIA. If you want to go really really hard into it, if you really want to make a strong accusation of it, you could say that the CIA intentionally funds those groups with the mission of overthrowing Assad, which there have been people within the Obama office who have said things like that. So that's fair enough accusation, but uh, either or, if you use those talking points, Obama supported Al-Qaeda, just be prepared to talk a little bit more about it rather than just saying like, Obama supported Al-Qaeda. You got to be like, uh, Obama's foreign policy to fund uh, Salafist extremists uh, was was uh, supporting Al Qaeda, <laughs> you know? Just right. That's that's just my take on it because too many people talk in talking points. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like sound talk, bites and shit. Even sound bites, and I know it's an effective way to get your messaging across in a very short period of time. However, when you say that, it just confuses people, it and, confu- and it and it makes you sound stupid sometimes. Like in this case, Obama supports Al Qaeda. It's like, yeah, not ex- not entirely, but like I see where you're going there. You need to be able to like spit real facts, and sometimes it's just not enough time to do that. And that's why that's where shit like this comes into play. Well, the thing with Obama supported Al Qaeda is that you can get confused with the birther stuff. It has nothing to do with the birther stuff right, when people yeah. say that. D- different, different, uh, <laughs> different talking point. It's not. They're not saying he's Muslim. They're they're mm-hmm. saying that he covertly armed them to overthrow uh, Arab governments. All right, let's go on to the next question. Cool. This question is pretty gay. <laughs> Sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm going to read it. So, I know you guys are Star Wars fans. (laughs) I remember the episode where you rant for like 20 minutes about the hole in the Death Star. Nerds. In parentheses. Um, Wanted to know what your take is on Mark Hamill throwing shade on Ivanka's family picture on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I actually did see this too. What what is he talking about? So like here if you google um <laughs> if you go, I don't know what you could google to get this but like just look look for Mark Hamill's like statuses on Twitter and Ivanka put up this picture of like her family on Twitter and like one of her kids I don't know which one I don't know their names uh is dressed up like a stormtrooper and Ivanka goes the force is strong with my family. <laughs> and I mean, I love Mark Hamill. I do love Star Wars. I think this one bit maybe went a little too far, but uh, he says it was actually pretty funny. He's like, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. He's he's uh, he's got more tact than that. He says, you misspelled fraud. <laughs> Go force yourself. <laughs> No, he said that. Yeah, he did hashtag go force yourself. Um, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Um, 
I thought it was funny from like like from a comedian's perspective. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't like the Trumps. I don't like Ivanka Trump. I don't. I don't like anything about what they do and what they represent. But like, she, she's just being a person and putting a picture of her like kid dressed up in a stormtrooper costume i don't know what the context is behind that maybe it's his like halloween costume or some shit like that and that's fine but you know like like leave her alone for this one like especially for leave the kid alone like you know it's just like taking a picture and shit like i don't know i thought that was a bridge too far uh you know we can definitely um make you know uh, uh talk all day about shit that the trump family does that's that's worth you know throwing shade on i just thought that was a little silly um but some funny uh, responses to that uh, that other Twitter followers were saying was like one of them pointed out how ironic it was that um, that basically uh, she, you know, that the excuse me, the stormtroopers are the bad guys, <laughs> you know, uh, which is interesting. You know, uh, what were some of the other ones here, Henry? I think I'm you're looking uh, at the article he sent me. Uh, that's on here um, can you unclick because i can't see the the link i want to read through them again cool um neat yeah so they so that was one of them uh another one a good quote was like i've got a bad feeling about this which is just perfect you know in terms of a response uh if you're a star wars nerd you'll get it <laughs> so all right i'm sorry that i'm making fun of you but um, it's, I'm just not a fan of like the, oh, I got shade on the Trump family. Yeah. Bloom. Yeah. Eat that Trump. <laughs> Fuck you, Trump. <laughs> Russia gate, Robert Mueller. Yeah. I hate that so much. So I was listening to, um, I think it's very fair to give real criticism on yeah. Trump. And I think that stuff shades him from real criticism. Yeah, I agree. That's, I, agree. I think that's an important thing. Now, the other day I saw the roast of Alec Baldwin. Mm-hmm. It was funny. Mm-hmm. All the ro- Comedy Central roasts are really funny. Right. Hilarious. There, there yeah. isn't, I, there's not one that I ha- I've seen that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Robert De Niro gets up and he is talking about oh just like every single set he he has a segment at the end he's like oh you're gonna get you like robert Mueller, who's gonna beat up trump if hey, that fucking criminal trump oh robert Mueller is gonna bump bump fuck him and i'm like what the hell is the matter with robert de niro like is he he he's either lost his mind um or just so ideologically possessed with his hate for hate his his uh his hate for donald trump or he's just so completely unaware of how he sounds he sounded like a complete moron and he's just he was on fox news the other day robert de niro mm-hmm. and he was talking about um yo fuck you fox news oh you, you support you support donald trump uh, uh, donald trump in russia uh, like dude robert de niro what happened to you? You are in my favorite movies. And I can't hate you because I love Casino so much. <laughs> and I love Goodfellas. And I can't ever hate you. But just, you, you, you're really old now. And you're not in good movies anymore. So I guess I understand that. I guess you get stuck in this uh, weird Hollywood trap of of, uh, of, of that like really 
corporate liberal neoliberal identity i hate trump mix but i just can't i i i'm not a fan of it i like it when people like they they uh like i thought it was super cool i think it's super cool when tulsi gabbard uh shits on trump and she says stuff like you're saudi arabia's bitch yeah because it's true yeah and i'm like yeah that's some real criticism i'll get behind that um or if you say some stuff about like if you're going to go into his like economic policies and say and, and argue tariffs and things like that i'm fine i like i i like that type of stuff or if you're going to talk about like in like um employment numbers and how they're not realistic or or how he's kind of playing uh he's taking too much credit for the economy if you're giving real criticism to trump like i think that's great and you need to do it but yeah but that this... doesn't give you points on the internet and that, that's where i think i was like all right i know Mark, you're not gonna right, be Mark, like you know <laughs> well protection is foreign policy it's like retweeted <laughs> three million times retweeted you know like, three million <laughs> hashtag foreign this, policy you know like that's never gonna this tweet up. about this tweet about <laughs> tariffs has gone viral <laughs> you know uh, I mean, like, I get it. People are frustrated uh, with, you know, Donald Trump or with the, with the Trump family. Lindsay generally. Lohan's tweet about tariffs shows us an important <laughs> message about protectionist That's economic policy. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, people express their their um, their grief in different ways. In this one in particular, like, again, I love Mark Hamill. And I actually thought it was funny, like, out of context. But, like, leave her alone. Like, she's just po- posting a picture of her family. Like, nobody... Nobody would like having, you know, uh, uh, pic- putting up a picture of their family on the internet and then suddenly, like, everyone's throwing shade on you just because you're a terrible person in business and in, <laughs> and in other things. I don't know. I go back and forth on it, but... It's, fu- like, I think it's it's fun to make fun of Trump for, like, um, the like the sleaziness <laughs> yeah. factor. I think that's, yeah. those are really fair. If you're going to take shots yeah. at him, I, I like to go at the sleaziness factor right, right, right. of, like, his weird kind of deals in the 80s and stuff mm-hmm. like that that's well, I mean, why that's, I like to take that's why this comment is pretty funny in my opinion because you know she says the force is strong with my family and he and mark mark hamill he replaces it with the fraud is strong with his family it's really true you know it's super poignant you know um so i don't know that that's kind of sleazy you know the sleazy deals that they do um but just i guess the the, the point that i'm that i'm getting at is like it was a, a picture of a kid in like a Star Wars costume like if she had said that because she was in a Star Wars costume or because Jared was in a Star Wars costume then like that's fair game but like leave the kid out of it you know Jared probably dresses up as a stormtrooper with Benjamin Netanyahu when they're playing no, Hot Wheels no in his way. room when Benjamin Benjamin Netanyahu has sleepovers at the Christian Jared, Jared house. definitely dresses if Jared dresses up as anything in Star Wars he dresses up either as Princess Leia in that, like, you know, Jared, slave you thing. know, the Death Star is six months away from blowing up Alderaan. <laughs> the six... Jared, the, the Death Star is six months away. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> um, all right, fucking... Right, we got two more questions. Let's go into this next question because it goes into the segues into this. What's going on with uh, the use this Ukraine scandal and uh, and President President yeah President Trump? Sorry, I can't read. 
What was the USAID package to Ukraine that Trump allegedly used as a bargaining chip to get dirt on Biden's son? Uh, do other countries get this aid too, or is it just Ukraine? Do you think this is impeachable offense? Bonus. Trump quoted some guy on Fox News saying if Congress I peaches him, there will be a civil war. All right. <laughs> I peaches him. I Trump peach quotes him. some guy at Fox is saying, if con- Congress I peaches him, there will be a civil war. <laughs> I did actually see that. Um, I peaches him. <laughs> I peachment inquiry. <laughs> um, will there be? <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I look, Listen. I'll be honest. I'm not following the story that much. I don't. I my immediate reaction to this is like, this is just another way. This is just kind of like a repeat or a way to 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 put the defibrillator on Rushgate. <laughs> so I'm just like, all right. I read. I've been listening to like just podcasts I listen to, like mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Dore and stuff like that. Their mm-hmm. takes on it, and I was listening to uh, Aaron. Matei or Nate, I think it's Aaron Matei uh, talking about it. And there's like all these who's a leftist. So it's not like I'm taught listening to like right wingers say this. Um, usually the, 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 the that, that guy, um, Glenn Grenwald and um, Aaron Matei have been, and um, Michael Tracy are all liberals who have been covering this and they've been kind of tearing, tearing these narratives apart. And, I just don't I, I don't have enough bandwidth to cover these scandals. I'll just be completely honest. So when they come up, I'm just not I'm just like I'm I'm already assuming that they're bullshit. Well that's what I'm here for. <laughs> I'm already assuming that they're bullshit and I kind of discredit them immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's probably not the best that. mindset to no. have. Yeah, however <laughs> how, however, um there's only so many things that I can consume. That's true. And that's what I'm here for, right? <laughs> so <laughs> that's why that's why you have two perspectives. That's why you got two perspectives on here. It's, it's basically the view with fewer people. <laughs> it's basically fewer the views. Whoopi Goldbergs. <laughs> there, there's basically the, the view, but with, I guess, uh, three less penises, right? Oh, dude. No. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Let me answer the question. Okay, so what was what the so the actual question is, you know, what's going on with the Ukraine scandal and President Trump? Uh, you know, TLDR uh Trump had a conversation with uh the president of uh of Ukraine. Uh his name is like uh, Volodymyr Zelensky or whatever. Uh fun fact about this guy, he used to be a comedian and he played a um he played a uh, uh, like the president of Ukraine in like a sitcom or whatever, uh, and there's also this one clip that I saw on um, on one of the late night talk shows of him like uh, playing piano with his dick, or at least that was the bit, you know, which is pretty funny. And now he's like the leader of Ukraine. Um, anyway, that's a side note. So he had a call with uh, the president of uh, Ukraine, and allegedly. Um, a few weeks beforehand, actually not allegedly, legitimately, a few weeks beforehand, uh, Trump put a stop to an aid package uh, that was um, pretty much, you know, billed to to go over to um, to the Ukraine. Uh, the aid package totaled three hundred ninety one million dollars uh, in military aid, uh, and it was for things related to the military. So, um, 
one thing that uh, uh, Zelensky had asked about was, you know, buying some Javelin anti-tank weapons. Um, and, you know, so $250 million or so of that money um, was supposed to go to the Ukraine t- uh, to the Security Cooperation Fund, uh, it's called. Uh, and that's for, like, additional training, uh, some equipment, and, like, you know, uh, some consulting, things like that, to help boost Ukraine's armed forces. Uh, and then the State Department actually put uh, an additional $141 million on top of that. Um, but that was, that was like, a separate... Um, that was a separate thing from the Pentagon's plans. Um, and basically what what this is for and why uh, it, this is specific to Ukraine, although many other countries do receive, you know, uh, uh, aid from the United States. Um, this one, this particular package was just for the Ukraine. And a lot of it is, you know, because they need to, you know, bring up their their armed forces, you know, to, to combat Russia, which is like our mortal enemy. Um, but legitimately, though, Ukraine did lose 13,000 people, um, you know, of its people, and not because they died, but because they, they are now Russians uh, when they lost the U- um, the Crimea uh, area. So uh, basically, we're... Didn't they vote to become get right back in Russia, though? <laughs> That's right. But they also <laughs> they lost voted. a lot of assets, you know. Well, it, you know, it's still in question whether or not that was a legitimate election. But, you know, that's a different conversation. But people, like, say day. it like they like the Russians annexed Crimea. Like, they voted. Well, they, I mean, it was a Russian-speaking d- area of the, of the Ukraine. Yeah, but it depends. Because if they completely botched a, an election, like, if it was a bullshit election, and then that would be an annexation. Just... An annexation hidden in a bullshit election, um, but that—that's a Vladimir Putin is so savvy. <laughs> that's a completely different conversation, and yeah, I we'll stay have we'll annex America next through our election process. You vote for <laughs> Russia for next president. Oh, we annex you. <laughs> <laughs> so here's Henry. Here's why I think you should pay attention, and and why I don't think this is bullshit. Um, so the reason why this this is the reason why this of all the like thousand things that Trump has done that maybe could have been impeachable offenses. The reason why this is is gaining so much steam and moving so quickly is because it's simple to understand. And we have the evidence immediately for it. Right. What's the evidence? He released the damn transcript <laughs> and like fucking Rudy Giuliani's on TV every day confirming the fact that, yeah, in fact, he did ask President um, uh, Zelensky to look into, uh, you know, President Biden's son, because there was evidently some some shit that went down uh, that maybe he should have went uh, to jail for or something like that. I don't don't remember the exact situation there. Um, but in general, there was a trial and he was acquitted of any wrongdoing. Uh, Biden's son. But this is obviously politically motivated. Like like when why is that a priority for us to find out right now? You know, clearly it's because Biden's the front runner right now and he wants to learn some shit so that he can attack um, attack Joe Biden on. But additionally, in that same conversation, he did talk about like getting to the bottom of like Russia, the Russiagate thing and like why the you know, whether they wanted uh, Trump said he wanted their servers so that they can inspect them to find out like why the DNC tried to manufacture this bullshit. It's like, dude. None of this has anything to do with like actual foreign policy and the fact that he withheld this valuable, you know, asset on purpose. Let's be real. Like he's this is all in, you know, his leverage points in the art of the deal. Like he wanted to get a leverage point above him, hold it over their head. He's like, hey, you want that money? How about you tell me? uh, How about you tell me what I want to hear? You know, it's like so the point is, unlike the Russia scandal, we immediately got the evidence for it. He admitted to it. Uh, we, we, uh, and it's simple. It's simple to understand. 
right? It's not like multifaceted with a bunch of different countries involved with all this, like, you know, Paul Manafort's and your, you know, in your Coens and all this other shit. No, it's just like real simple to understand. Let's and raid Roger Stone. <laughs> exactly. Um, Let's raid the fifth to 75-year-old man or however old he was. Yeah, well, he's a piece of shit, but that's a different story. Um, anyway, that that's why this is important, and that's why this has actually some, some legs, because literally you can go and read right now the transcript. You know? It's, it's like, obviously clear. Like, the dude is, is doing mafia talk, right? It's like, uh, hey... Nice country you got here. Be be a shame if uh, you didn't get that aid package. You know, like doesn't actually talk about it, but um. and then uh, Mike Pompeo, fat man, fat boy. He was on the call too, and uh, and he knew about it the whole time, and he was like trying to deny it. Um, and then they tried to rope. Uh, basically, President Trump said uh, he wanted to. You should work with uh, my personal lawyer Rudy Giuliani and William Barr. And it's like, all right, this dude is bringing in. His secretary of state, his personal lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, and the secretary general of the United States into what appears to be, uh, you know, using the uh, abusing the office of of abusing his office to get information about like politically motivated information for the next election. There was no like like impending disaster that we need to know this information about right now. You know, and it certainly isn't a coincidence that he withheld the money. And they admit to all of this. That's the that's the point. And if you hear the way he reacts to it, like he's literally saying, you know, he was saying like, oh, uh, everybody's a treasonous person. Like the per- the whistleblower that that brought this up is like fucking I don't know. He's he's a treasonous traitor that should go to jail or worse, you know. Uh, and the the type of rhetoric that's coming out of his mouth is just makes it absolutely clear. It's like, yeah, dude, you did something wrong. You got caught, and now you're trying to you know do this and and on that last point that bonus trump quoting this guy on fox news so that that guy was a pastor uh one of those crazy like evangelical types uh you know notable for you know saying a lot of crazy shit um but he actually said uh he's afraid that there would be um a civil war if we impeach trump uh and trump quoted him without doing the afraid part and I think it's disgusting. Like, why are you talking about that? Like, you're the president of the United States. You're supposed to be the unifying force in the, you know, in our country. And, like, you might have got caught doing something wrong, but, like, even Nixon didn't do that shit. You know, like, even even Don, um, uh, uh, Bill Clinton didn't try and divide the country in that kind of way using that rhetoric. It's just disgusting. Um, will there be a civil war? No. <laughs> no. No, there won't. I think he's trying to drum up some support for himself, but that's some dangerous. That's a dangerous way to drum up support for your case. Um, no, I don't think there'll be a civil war if Donald Trump is impeached. Um, I think over people it. over are overplaying that new age civil war thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally. A lot of it is just like sensationalized from like other alternative media figures mm-hmm. who have jumped on the. Right. The culture war is getting I mean, out of control. Oh, the leftist antifa, the <laughs> patriots fighting. Oh. I mean, Trump did tweet this though. Let's be um, clear; like he's the one that's saying it right now. He's Donald. <laughs> he's, he's, he's the one that's doing he, it. <laughs> he's he's Donald. He's Donald Trump. It's, it's what we expect at this point. Um, I need to look into this story more because I haven't. I'm not caught up on it at all. So, you have the advantage of of this debate, Danny. So. I won't, I won't let you have the upper hand on me, but I'm just, I'm so 
exhausted from the from the Russiagate scandal, it's hard for me to look at it seriously. However, I will get up to date with this, cool. and I will I will uh, I will tell you if I disagree or not. Awesome. Right, I may disagree with you, yeah, but I'll probably... fight to the death for your right to say it. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm paraphrasing that. Is that yeah. Volt, Voltaire? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's Voltaire. Okay. Um, there's one last question. Let's wrap this up. Um, did you hear about Trump tossing out Bilal Abdul Kareem? Um, uh, I'm like dyslexic, by the way. Did you hear about Trump tossing out Bilal Abdul Kareem's case? Uh, saying, did you hear about Trump tossing out Bilal Abdul's case of being taken off the kill list? What are your thoughts? I remember you doing an episode on him a while back. Um, yeah, so Bilal Abdul Kareem is a guy who covers the... Salafist militias in the northern part of Syria in Idlib and he's very sympathetic to them to him and he kind of portrays them in a positive light so if you watch his uh he has a YouTube channel it's called uh OBGN or something OGN just type in Bilal Abdul Karim and you'll bring up his YouTube channel and He's interviewing these guys on on the ground in, in Idlib in Syria, and I actually appreciate that he puts this stuff out because you can just tell how insane the people that he's that these people are. Like it's it's sun, it's sunshine to me. Right. So he'll just interview he'll interview like guys in different and in, in, uh, just different. Al-Qaeda affiliates or ones that are leaving or ones that are fighting with each other and it's kind of like girl sometimes they'll cover the girl drama within like these different rebel groups or terrorist groups in in northern Syria um and he uh he, he he's on the ground and he covers them so apparently he says he's on a kill list so I think it's been in like five four or five times he, he said he claimed that there was a drone there was drone strikes on his life and I don't I definitely don't agree that he should be put on a kill list so I despite what he's doing if you want to say that he's a terrorist sympathizer um, maybe if you want to say that he's being misrepresented for covering jihadist who I mean he certainly has a good narrative on them um yeah uh do you want to say uh, does he deserve to be put on a kill list no i don't think any american deserves to be put on a kill list he, he's an american citizen you can't you can't just murder somebody without due process you need the guy needs to have a trial so i don't think that's right and unfortunately barack obama made a a status quo that probably will never go away where a president right. can kill whoever they want at the flick of a, a flick of a drone right so it's no i don't think that i i don't like Bilal abdul kareem but i certainly don't think that an american citizen should be murdered on the other side of the world so i agree um, i don't i don't like it and um it's uh it sucks, and I and I honestly appreciate him doing the work he does because I think it's sunshine into 
to that area that that's needed. If you want to closely follow the Syrian war, it's good to get the perspective of uh, of the crazies up there, just so you know how weird it is. Like he covers HTS and mm-hmm. and uh, he interviews them, and like they'll just be on, they'll just. All they talk about is Allah is great. It, uh, you know, we come and we sack the city, and Allah is great. And it's all it's you know the 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 other group they dishonored us, and they now they they are not friends with Allah. Like they just they're they're what you would expect people who want to build a caliphate <laughs> to say. So it's uh, I think the sunshine's actually the sun. I think what he does is actually valuable to uh, people who want to follow. Get a get a get technicolor in, in that in that conflict right well i mean love him or hate him you know he's presenting a, a side that you probably won't be seeing very frequently you know, and you know it's the the thing is though is that i think a lot of the problems are is that he will work with like cnn sometimes <laughs> or he was on fuck what network was he on a while back was it channel four sky news he was on sky, sky news. news yeah and they did a pl- the, the Sky, a Sky News journalists were down him. They they were with him in Idlib, and they were covering a story. And he was he was part of the production. Or he was part of the crew. So, did they work with him because they can get access to those rebel to those area those conflict zones? Yeah, I mean, do they work with them because they want to portray those rebels as like as as rebels or, or, or moderate, maybe um, it's all possible. But at the end of the day, I don't think that they should be trying to murder him. Right. That's that's my take. No that's murdering. my take. No murdering people who cover the news. No, no, no murdering journalists. Let's just set that yeah. standard. Yeah. <laughs> like, and don't no murdering American citizens without due process going without due process because that's no, a, I, i'd extend that no murdering any citizens without due process how about that yeah that's a that's a better standard to go with yeah. but if we can't even do american citizens right then how the fuck are we supposed to value other people's lives that's like, oh, true if we if we can't if we can't keep up with that bar of like not killing your citizens without not executing your citizens without without a proper trial then there's there's no bar but I don't even know if he's on a kill list. To be completely honest, it's not a fact. It's it's that it's what he says. He he's saying he is on a kill list, and and I think the I mean, I government think is revealing to say they're they're refusing to let him know if he's on it or not. Yeah, but that's not a standard for people for the government to say like, oh yeah, you're on a kill list. <laughs> I know, exactly like, don't tell people that like they're on a kill list. That shit is covert, top secret, eyes only shit. You I, know? I know you're not like here's who on it. That would be that that would be some real Mad Max type shit. I feel like, like the only here's time... everyone on the kill list today. Everyone gets ten thousand dollars. <laughs> the the last time you saw like a public and open and available kill list was like right after nine eleven when they made those like playing cards of all the terrorists that they wanted to get. Um, and those guys weren't American citizens. They right, were, exactly. Were... I mean, not not that it makes a difference, but the the point though is I think that was like the only time and like if you're on a kill list, especially if you're on an, if you're an American citizen on a kill list, you're not you're not going to no. No one's going to know. Yeah, you're not They don't give you a letter. <laughs> it's not like jury duty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've been summoned on a kill list. <laughs> Step outside so a drone can kill you. Gotcha. 
That's drone tech. That's that's the U.S. drone technology. <laughs> Two hundred and fifty million dollars a unit at work. Jesus, just takes a letter to get you out. One hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> a rocket. You know, like <laughs> one letter, one kill list letter. Say you are being served on a kill list. You will come in. You you will you will come in on this date to be drone striked by two hundred and fifty million dollar drone. <laughs> With a hundred and fifty thousand dollar rocket. <laughs> With a hundred and fifty thousand dollar rocket. Yeah. <laughs> it will be it will be a a uh, very, very uh quick and swift and uh expensive <laughs> execution. And uh we'll we'll have to use a couple more rockets because we'll probably miss the first couple times. <laughs> we'll hit a hospital by accident. Oops. All right. Oh, um is there anything else? Do we have any more questions? I don't think so. Scroll in the email. No, we don't have any more. All right. Send us your questions. If Send you us like your this. questions <laughs> at info at brohistory.com. It's a special email we set up for questions. That's correct. <laughs> that's, that's correct. <laughs> special email we set up for the Q&A section. So email your questions at info at brohistory.com. We enjoy them. This is a really fun part we like doing on the show. So send them over. Another thing, rate and review the podcast. We are at, um, we're close. We're getting, we're getting close to 200 ratings on Apple, which is, uh, which is, which is a good sign. So help us get to 200. It'd be very, it'd be very, uh, it'd be huge for us. Let's just put it that way. Huge. Um, all right. Siren's coming. I think we should wrap it up. Yep. All right. See y'all. All right. Peace guys. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.